and welcome to the station, Triple H 100.1 FM. You are with Small Biz Matters live in the studio with Alexi Boyd. Thank you very much for joining me this week for another one of our fantastic guests fests. We're very excited to be welcoming Declan Burton-Clark, who is from Valiant Finance. Thank you once again for joining us. Thank you for having me, Lexi. You are now officially a regular on the show, one of our regular experts that we turn to for all matters relating to small business. And today's show we're going to be talking about is, well, it's a bit of a gobbledygook one for me, and that is small business lending. Um, And I think it would be fair to say that the goalposts have moved somewhat in the last, uh, say, couple of months or so because of um, certain political and uh, royal commission-y type of events. But... um, it's quite difficult, I think, as a small business owner to really understand small business lending. I mean, oh, that's a very squeaky mic today. Uh, and it's a bit of a moving feast of a topic because, of course, we've got we've got the changes that happen at a federal level. It feels as though, you know, even local, state and other politics might impact on whether or not big banks or smaller lenders are actually lending. How's everyone feeling about giving to small business? And we really seem to be the bottom, a bit of the totem pole when it comes to uh, high risk and, and people wanting to lend to us. But, of course, at the same same time we've got politicians telling us that we're the engine room of the economy that we're the, the biggest employers of the nation that we're the biggest innovators and yet there seems to be a bit of a discrepancy between lending to us and actually um in that in the way of supporting us but also expecting us to to do all the heavy lifting so luckily today we've got with us um our resident small business lending expert declan is part of valiant finance who work as part of the government's uh, business connect program an initiative of the small business commissioner business connect is there to support small business through advice workshops, education on one or more sessions with an expert. And Declan is just one of those experts belonging to Valiant Finance. Thank you very much for coming back on the show today. Thank you for having me again. <laughs> now, last time we had you on the show, we were talking a little bit about um, the, the, the criteria around lending and helping people to understand what small business lending is. So let's go back to basics a little bit just to recap. If you're a small business and you've, you've never lo- borrowed before apart from getting a, a mortgage or, or credit cards like everyone else and you're thinking, okay, well, I'm at the point now where I need to really invest in my business. Um, let's use the example of the pizza cafe that we had last time where someone's gone, okay, I'm expanding, I'm maybe looking at borrowing um, to, to, to fit out or, or borrowing to expand my business, take on more staff. You've got to have a reason to do it, obviously, but you've, you've determined that you need money to get bigger and therefore improve your business prospects. Where do you start? What's, that, what's the first, first step when you go, okay, I need money, now what? Probably your best bet would be to work out where you are at that present point in time. Mm. And then that will then help you determine what kind of lender can I approach in order to actually get the money to do the fit out. So first things first, <clears throat> there's quite a number of different lenders you've got in the market. You've got banks, mm-hmm. you've got alternative new lenders. Can I just ask you, when you say banks, do we say, do we in our minds think of the big four or do we go banks, which includes your credit unions and your other smaller banks and your international banks? What do you say when you say banks? Do you mean the big four or beyond that? I typically think of the big four. Yeah. I think most people do, mm-hmm. but you've also got some of the sort of challenger banks like ING, Bank West out there. Um, they don't have as much of a small business offering, but they definitely have products that are suitable for a small business. Mm-hmm. What I normally think of when I say bank is typically secured lending. So using a house as a security in order to access funds to then use for the business, typically on top of a mortgage. So let's say your house is worth a million dollars. You might have a $500,000 mortgage that you still have to pay off. Mm-hmm. And then you may have a, an overdraft or a line of credit or something on top of that secured up against the property. So when I say banks, I'm typically thinking someone who's taken security in the form of a house 
in order to give you the money. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you're using what you've got as an asset, which typically for most people who are particularly just starting out in business is going to be their home. Um, is that something you need to right at the beginning get your head around in terms of the risk? Because at the end of the day, isn't it the bank's ability to remove your home if you default or exactly other reasons? Right. Yeah. So that's probably one of the main reasons. Um, and I think the term risk is probably the most relevant today. Um when it comes to a bank assessing your risk level, that's one of the things that they have to take into account is how will we recover the funds in the event of a default or in the event that you can't repay the loan. Mm-hmm. The reason is banks are governed by APRA, which tells them pretty specifically you must not risk the people's money. So if we're talking about bank lending, we're talking about my savings, your savings, everyone puts their savings into a big pot. Um, and then in order to access that funds, we need to do that in a secured manner, mm-hmm. which is why the whole banking section is governed basically by a set of rules that say, don't risk the people's money. Risk people's houses. <laughs> exactly, yeah, exactly right. Don't, don't risk everyone's savings. Yeah, so, okay, okay, that makes sense because otherwise it would just fall over. Exactly, or else we end up ha- you know, with something like the GFC happening again. Mm-hmm. So that is where the biggest changes have been occurring is in alternate lenders. Um, you may have heard of them as called fintech lenders. Um, there's different models of them. So some of them go out and they... Essentially, they're not operating as a bank. Therefore, they're not subject to the same the same level of regulation that APRA applies to the banks. What that means is because they're using that money specifically, it's an investment fund. The people who or the source of the income or the money for them is not necessarily people's savings. Therefore, mm. they are allowed to then lend it to riskier loans. Yeah, because people are choosing to give them the money for the purposes of this investment, this type of investment. So they're signed in, they're a buy-in kind of thing. And that's the, that's why they have, um, is that where they can be a little bit more flexible with their lending practices because they're not talking about people's homes and savings? Exactly right. right. So you've got a lot of different types of models. Some of them, they go out, they find a couple of high net worth individuals who put some money into a fund then typically what happens more and more as banks are tightening up on certain SME products, you've got bankers who then kind of see the writing on the wall, leave, they'll find some people who they've worked with over the years, they'll mm. get a fund put together between a small amount of high net worth individuals and then mm-hmm. they start creating a lending product for a specific niche in the market. Ah, I see. And then, of course, because you've got these high worth lending people putting their money into it who are known for being investing in that fintech, that will uh, create a, a sort of ongoing a cascading effect where more people will jump on board because they know that that person has said, I'm going to invest in this because I trust these guys to invest my money. Yep. So that's one way. So it's one way that they'll get a lot more attention. Um, another way is in the form of what's called peer to business lending, mm-hmm. which is a bit like peer to peer lending, where you've got investors and borrowers who are brought together by an intermediary, which is acting as a lender, and they have an AFSL and they're, they're a licensed lender, but what they're really doing is doing a credit assessment of the borrower in order to protect the investor. So it's a bit like, as opposed to having your money in the bank where you're earning sort of 1% per annum, rather than that, I can invest the money that I have lying around into small businesses. These lenders will assess the risk of the borrower and then lend my money out to them on my behalf. And instead of getting a 1% return or a 2% return of the bank, I can typically get a better return because the money's being given to someone with a bit more risk. Therefore, I get a better return on my investment. Is that the most, is that the highest growing area of the industry at the moment? The highest growing industry would just be in general alternates to banks. I think in, it, not that, obviously banks are still writing loans 
you know, they're still writing loans, but that's probably the biggest growth area, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, because people are sort of seeing a niche in the market and that the opportunity, but then there's, there's, there's a risk involved. You've got the people's money that you need to be looking after. So is that where, um, I guess, as, as a business owner who's trying to source funds, uh, that might be an easier prospect than trying to go to the banks, but is there reputation involved? I mean, does it sort of become a bit more personal because you're dealing with peer-to-peer? It Not necessarily because the peer, the, the person borrowing the money is ultimately borrowing the money from the institution. Uh-huh. They've got all sorts of sinking funds and insurances to make sure that the borrowers get their, well, the, sorry, the investors right. will get their money back. Yeah. Um, it's an interesting model though. I really like it as an option because, like you said, it gives the ability to give loans that are a little bit more risky mm. um, or ones that ultimately are just not deemed bankable. So the big... The first thing, I guess, to answer your original question, we, I got a bit off track there, but the original question was what do you need to consider? The first thing is to consider what do I currently own? Mm-hmm. So what's my asset and liability position? How much money or how much assets do I own mm-hmm. and how much do I owe against those assets? The next thing to consider is your profit and loss statement. How long have you been in the industry? So your own experience. How long have you been trading? What's your turnover in an average month? Is it quite consistent? Is it a little bit sort of here and there? Um, and then what you want to ideally be showing is some sort of asset that you can use as a security, some very consistent turnover if you can get to that point. If your mm-hmm. business is more seasonal, then whatever you can do to sort of make that income a bit more consistent will help. Um, or you may have to find that if your income is three months of the year, you earn all the income that you earn, and then nine months of the year, you don't. You may have to find an alternate lender who understands that your business model doesn't work the same way that they want to see. And therefore, your sort of repayment schedule or the way that you pay the loan back may have to be different than the bank will typically ask you to do. All right. So it's like everything with small business. We're all very different. We all behave very differently in our business and how we earn money. But I think as with everything in small business, you need to understand your numbers as well. So it's no no point in going, I've got this brilliant idea, but you need to be able to prove that you've got something behind you, whether it's the business success or forward planning and what you're expecting to be your positive cash flow, etc. Yep. Or a lot of experience in that industry. So what I've sort of typically seen is that the business owners who get funded for say a startup or an acquisition loan where Mm -hmm. you're either starting a business or acquiring one that's already running the three main criteria is they'll want to see that you've thought about it long enough to put away money to save money so a 30% contribution of whatever you'd you'd like to borrow Mm. good experience within the industry typically at a sort of a management level if we use that pizza shop example if you wanted to borrow $100,000 to get started what they'd want to see is you've got $30,000 saved so you've thought about it long enough to save the money aside You've worked as a manager in a pizza shop for maybe two or three years already. Mm-hmm. Um, ideally, it's sort of the situation where the owner of that pizza shop has then said, "Hey, do you want to buy the? Do you want to buy it off me, um, or would you like to start the second franchise? You know, the second franchise." Um, and then ideally, you've got some sort of security to back that loan up, but it's not entirely necessary based on the fact that there are those sort of alternative peer lenders who are out there. Mm, so it's, it's really um, about under- showing that you understand what you're getting into yourself before you explain it to somebody else what they're getting into as well. Exactly. And the same, um, what you said before with that business plan and the cash flow forecasting is very relevant. That's the sort of thing they'll want to see that you've put the thought in to make sure that they're comfortable with lending you the money. So... A lot of it comes down to ultimately making the lender comfortable with lending you a large sum of money, knowing that they're going to get it back plus Mm. interest. Now, a lot of times when we're starting starting up a business and we might go and see, um, you know, a a business coach or some sort of planning thing, we're told that it's very important to have a business plan um, right from the beginning so that you can show some sort of 
thought process. But I mean, I think a lot of people when they do them, they're not sure what they're doing in the first couple of years. So they just sort of pull something, you know, out of nowhere, uh, which is kind of form forms the same process or, or set of criteria that you would expect in a business plan. Is that where people should be putting their focus in or should it be really in their numbers? Because both of those things take a lot of time. And I'm just wondering in your expertise, is it better to really get your report solid and your forward planning and, you, you know, you really understanding your numbers or is it better to have some sort of document that shows what your 10-year plan is? I guess the answer is you can never be too prepared. So especially with something like that, if you've got a home and if you are planning on using that as security for a loan, then I expect that you, you really should put a lot more thought into that the same way that you put a lot of thought into I guess the example would be for myself, if I go shopping with a list of 10 things that I'm going to get, I'll mm-hmm. probably walk in and out with those 10 things. If I walk in there without much of a plan of what I'm going to do, I might be in there for three or four, as, you know, three times as long as I would have been. Mm. Um, and I'll probably walk out with a whole lot of stuff that I didn't plan on buying initially. Um, so I think the same thing applies to a business, especially whether you've got maybe a family and things at home that you are supporting. It would be not only good for the business is longevity but for your own sanity to have it all written down on a piece of paper so having that plan there having time frames having levels where you measure yourself against success that you've predetermined mm. and then having someone I, I, I think an accountant is probably the first best friend you're going to have when you're getting started is to make sure that you've got someone who's monitoring the whole thing ideally someone who's got good experience with people who are starting out and mm. can sort of reach out to you and offer some advice as well um, and then having something like a, like a business coach, someone who sort of checks in and ensures and keeps you accountable ultimately because if you are going from employed to self-employed for the first time, and Alexi is nodding vigorously right now, you know the differences between having somewhere that you need to report to Monday through Friday for work versus going out on your own and from then on you're your own boss, you're responsible for the time that you spend, responsible for ultimately everything. So... Having all that stuff written out ahead of time before you get started will help you stay on track when you do start as opposed to trying to sort of figure it out as you go along or trying to find the time to then sit down and write all that planning and everything after you've already started, which is less likely to happen. It sounds to me like, you know, almost the thought of taking out a business loan is actually a really good exercise because at some point during your business growth, you're going to think about investing, whether it's your own money that you've got to save up and invest or somebody else's money. But it's almost like make that a part of your learning um, with your small business journey. What is it that I have to put down in my industry? What is expected? And you mentioned getting on a good accountant. Um, I would also say make sure that you've got someone who understands your industry because quite a lot of times people engage with accountants because their dad or their cousin has an accountant Mm -hmm. that they use who has absolutely no clue about the industry that they're in. Um, A really good starting point might be professional association, if you're part of one, or other um, colleagues. Ask people, have you got a good accountant? Mm -hmm. And just from my perspective as a bookkeeper, a good accountant is someone who understands where you're at at any time of the year not just checks in with you once a year, but, but you know, someone you can pick up the phone with and just go, hey, can I claim that deduction or oh, I'm expecting this to happen, what should I do? You know, you just be able to, be able to talk to them about it because mm-hmm. the little guys, 
are much better at that than the big boys. And the mm. big boys uh, have a place, but I don't think that that's right for someone who's starting out. You want to know, you want someone who's really going to be there and handhold, I guess, a little bit. And it also depends what your aim is to achieve. If your plan is to run a local business that services your own area and that's what you're ultimately trying to achieve, then you should probably find someone in the area who... <laughs> who's local, who knows lots of businesses. Exactly. Someone you can go and speak to, someone you can see throughout the week. Like yeah. I said, someone you can call. I think that part is very important. With There's a lot of things that you may not know or understand. So rather than sort of, again, making that mistake as you go, it's probably easier if you've got someone you can just call, ask the question and get an answer on the spot. So, exactly. Um, but that's very relevant what you said. Like if you're running, let's say, right now in the background, I can hear someone mowing a lawn. So if that person their business model is going to be very different to someone who's fishing swordfish or lobsters. Yeah. And it's going to be seasonal. One is going to be seasonal, one's not. So I think it's very relevant. If you know someone in your industry whose business you're trying to emulate, maybe you call them and ask them who their accountant is. That's right. And then just And ask let for that some advice too. I mean, I don't know of anyone, even competitors who, you know, you need to have people around you that do the same thing as you. And and this is one of the reasons why, because when it comes to lending um, and understanding the, 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 the marketplace for, for loans, they might have more experience with you and are happy to help you in that way. Absolutely. We um, Well, we work with a lot of mortgage brokers as sort of a bolt-on to their businesses. And I think mortgages as an industry is incredible. The amount of mortgage brokers that are out there who do the same job but from a community point of view, are very open to sharing information. You yeah. know, if there's a there's a Facebook page um, called Finance and Coffee, which lucky enough we're lucky that one of the guys who founded that works for Valiant now. But he introduced us to this community of brokers who are all out there. They'll post difficult scenarios online, and 10, 15 people will comment in there and say, "Hey, you should use this bank. It's going to be the best result for the customer and everything." So it's very customer focused. So. Yeah, I love that. I've never really found, especially in Sydney, I mean, everyone's very Australian. They're happy to give advice, help yeah, you out. Yeah, No one's too cagey on sort of who their accountant is or anything. If, exactly. If you ask them the question, they'll probably give you the answer. Yeah, that's right. Look, we're going to take a quick break here on Small Biz Matters. And when we come back after the break, we're going to talk to Declan about, um, you know, what what's the changing face of small business lending after we've had the Royal Commission and what can we expect in the next 12 months or so. You're listening to Small Biz Matters on Triple H 100.1 FM. We'll be back after this. Now, today, of course, we are talking to Declan Burton-Clark, who is our expert on small business lending. So thank you very much for joining us once again. Now, just before the break, we were talking about uh, lending criteria, going over what we had gone uh, talked about in our previous show. What do you have to do to get your books up and prepared? What do you have to mentally prepare yourself for? What do you have to put on the line in order to get a small business loan? And at what stage should you be thinking about that? So let's talk about the next 12 months because something pretty big in the lending space happened a couple of months ago, which was the Royal Commission. Now, how much did that really throw a spanner in the works for small business in particular uh, when it came to our ability to, to get loans to grow our businesses, in your opinion? I think the vast majority of the Royal Commission has had its eye, so to speak, on mortgage lending, mm. but that has flow-on effects to affect small business lending. Of course it does, because you mentioned before people are using their homes as collateral. Well, therefore, if, you know, the, the trickle-on effect of that whole home loan space and, and the ability to, to loan, to borrow against a home, that's going to be affected, right? Yep. So the first thing, um, that's spot on. What it affects is what they call an LVR, so your loan-to-value ratio. Example, your house is worth a million dollars and you owe $800,000 against that house. It's an 80% ratio. So 
the loan size compared to the value is going to be 80% of the total value. So the first thing the Royal Commission has done is it's brought down the average LVR that a bank will typically lend to you. So mm-hmm. rather than lending you 90 to 95 or even 100% of the value of the house, typically they'll probably cap you out at about maybe 70 or 80%. Okay, so that's significantly a, lower because of what's happened? Yep. Well, if you imagine the average housing price in Sydney being, let's say it's roughly a million bucks, if there's a 10% reduction, it means there's $100,000 less access to capital basically from that house so the other main effect it's had is that it has altered the mind of the lenders so in order for the lenders whether they're banks alternative lenders whatever they are they're ultimately in it to make a return and so if it's harder to make a return through residential mortgage lending because there's less demand so Mm -hmm. as the rules sort of tighten up on what you can and can't lend against the house people will buy less houses. Yeah. So if they're not going to buy houses, they're going to invest either... You either sort of invest in houses typically or you can invest in business. So if you're a lender and the option doesn't exist for you to lend to a lot of the a lot of the customers you already have been serving, you're going to have to try and find a way to serve them some other way. But doesn't that mean that small business lending has a bigger pot pie, part of the pie? Yes. Oh. So what it means is that, yes, banks have sort of reduced the amount that they'll lend to small businesses to a degree because... <laughs> Again, that element of risk is involved. So if you've got a house that you lend against and you lend a small LVR, so if your LVR is rather than 90%, where you may be a little bit exposed, if something goes wrong, you may have to take that house and sell it. But if it's harder for someone else to access funds to buy the house, it's harder to sell the house. Okay. Therefore, you may have to reduce the amount of money that you lend against that house in order to sell it quickly if you're a bank to recover the funds. Mm -hmm. However... What that leads to is a lot is a big, big boom in the sort of alternate fintech private lending space where they don't necessarily require security. In fact, they almost prefer to not offer security because they can then charge a little bit more. Oh, I see. As in higher interest rates. Exactly. Okay. So if you can charge a little bit more by taking an unsecured position because it is more risky, therefore yeah. you can justify asking for a better return. Mm-hmm. If you're a lender and the banks are offering less and less safe options, more and more people will, or I mean, I've just sort of seen in the last 12 months alone, a huge boom in the amount of lenders that are in the market. Um, and I mean, just from 12 months ago to now, there's quite a few more players in that market. There's also a lot of changing product. So where they may start out and their product is very specific, you may require, let's say, there was one example where there was a lender who was doing loans to people with a one-day ABN. Oh, um, God. Yep, so not a huge amount. They'd normally sort of cap their loan at about ten, fifteen thousand dollars. So they're not they weren't just lending the money to anyone. You'd need to go through a security check and have good credit history right. and you know, an ABN and actually a business purpose. Yep. So that product didn't last too long and then they sort of changed the metrics around it. So rather than a one day ABN, you needed a three month GST registered ABN. Okay. And then that product has evolved again to be a slightly longer time in business and a bit more trading history. So it's I think it's a good thing because there's more people out there willing to take a risk because there was a better return in it for them if it works. And also because of the fact that there's more options, they have to be more competitive with each other in order to actually write business. So if you wanted to start a lending fund today, rather than you going out and competing with sort of all the larger ones who are out there doing a very similar product with a P&I loan where you give someone a bit of money today and then you've got a term that they're paying it off, you may have to be more innovative than that. Rather than 
going out to the market and doing the same thing as a few other lenders, you may have to create a really specific niche product that only works for a certain market. So I think there is benefit in that. And in the longer term, I see that actually becoming a better lending environment for small business because there will be more option. And with more option comes competition. With competition comes better outcomes for the customer. Sounds to me like the small business lenders are behaving a little bit like small businesses. Yeah, basically. Because exactly they're, right. they're niching and they're being a little bit more agile and they themselves are evolving with the market. I mean, we do this on a daily basis as small businesses, so that's kind of good to see. Mm-hmm. A lot of them understand, you know, like you said, they've got a small business mindset themselves. They're trying to understand who are we lending to, how do we reach that audience, how do we do that within the budgets of what we have, how do we manage our investors giving us capital and lend it out in a way that's fair to both. So I think I, I often um, I think a lot of them have a big challenge ahead of them and it's one I'm not very jealous of. I think it's a very hard thing to do to manage the expectation of your investor and your borrower, but also to keep things fair, keep things competitive. Um, but I think ultimately it's a good thing for the people who are borrowing the money, which is which is for the best. Um, it's it's a good sign that of a maturing financial services sector. So I think as an outcome of the Royal Commission, that's probably not a bad outcome, mm. whether it was a direct one and one that they specifically set out to achieve. Who knows? Who, who knows? Probably not. Who knows? But mm. I think it's a cool outcome. And I think the more the technology aspect as well of how a lot of these smaller lenders are doing things means that they can often save a bit of money on having as many employees as like a bank would have to have. Therefore, they can offer better rates and better terms and better conditions as well. Because they've got less overheads. Exactly. So if they've got less overheads and let's say, for example, you had a small small fund, maybe one sort of figurehead who used to work at a bank who is the managing director of that lending fund. You've then got their investors who invest in the company and they may only have one or two people in their credit assessment team and then one or two salespeople who are finding customers to service. So that as a business model can be quite sustainable if they can then do that at a scale and then slowly build themselves up mm-hmm. and then they can create a really, really good lender that works in a specific niche. So maybe if, we, if you fast forward five years from now, if we've had a couple of hundred of them enter the market, the ones that are very good will sort of naturally survive. The ones that aren't as competitive will sort of fall by the wayside. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of that, in five years, 10 years time, we'll have an environment where there's a lot of lenders, more established brands. And that's another trend I've noticed is more and more people are, are used to the idea of not borrowing from a bank. Yeah, that's becoming a little bit more safe, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, a bit more safe, but also a bit more, I guess, subconsciously normal. Mm-hmm. So rather than it being a traditional model of I go to the bank, I think as as well more sort of millennials into the market, people who are a bit more free, at, you know, maybe free as a generalisation. Yeah, they understand the idea of peer-to-peer stuff. Yep, exactly. Yeah. So they're, they're a bit more open to the idea because they've sort of, you know, okay, well, I guess that's just the way of things as opposed to it being a traditional method of I've got to go speak to the bank manager, put on my suit and tie and go along and, and ask for the money. It's less so that mentality, more so, well, why don't I just give it a Google and I'll do my own research and I'll find a lender that's going to suit my needs. Yeah, exactly. And look at reputation and and testimonials and things like that. Exactly. Can I ask you about something we didn't touch on last time, which I'm still, to be honest, trying to get my head around? And and that's um, that's angel investing and crowdfunding. So, So where does that You've got the big four banks. I think we all get that. And after your excellent explanation, we all understand the other types of lenders. 
Are angel investors just kind of like one of those other types with a, a middleman who, um, you know, weighs up the risk versus of what the, the lendee wants and what the lender is willing to give? Is that the similar thing or is they just kind of like angels fly in and go, oh, this looks like a nice business, here's $100,000? I mean, I, I really just don't... Are they sort of fly in, fly out or are they more regulated than that? So I can speak to this to some degree. I'm probably not the, the expert at this. More so debt is where I can be helpful. But yeah. um, an angel investor is typically an individual who has experience within a certain industry and has good knowledge of that industry to the point where they understand the emerging kind of disruptors of that industry. Mm. They themselves typically have done very well in that industry through their own business or through ownership of multiple businesses in that industry. And then they make a decision to invest normally smaller initial lumps of capital, so maybe 50 grand, 100 grand, to help that person get from sort of A to B a lot quicker. Where they differ from a venture capital firm would be an angel investor will typically be more hands-on because it's their own funds put in. And so they're not, they're not typically like those alternate lenders who are AFSL-listed licensed lenders. They're more so someone who is putting money in almost, not on a handshake agreement, but with you know, a sort of a, a, a contract drawn up typically between just themselves and the, the company. Mm. And because it's their own money going in, they have a vested interest in seeing that company do well. So as opposed to a lender who will give you money to see a return on that investment, normally in a percentage of the amount that you've borrowed, mm-hmm. an angel investor will invest in you for a share in, of equity within the company. So, so Shark Tank, really. Shark Tank, right. exactly. Okay, cool, cool. Because yeah. I, couldn't, I couldn't get my head around what the difference was, but yeah, no, that's a good explanation. But it, yeah, so the, the venture capital firms will be ones that are, like you said, they're normally run by super funds or they've been given money by a bank to spend a significant amount of money into a company to see it grow very, very quickly. Mm-hmm. So uh, Valiant is a great example of that. We were venture capital backed, but an angel investor will typically invest in a smaller business, maybe with one director who has a vision for the company and is looking for a small amount to basically get them from A to B quickly. Mm-hmm. But they may not be looking at growing to the degree of 100 times within three years. So right. I think that's probably more your venture capital realm. Yeah, yeah. Angel investing is more so getting to a point where the business is doing well and then that, that angel investor can either walk away and take a big sort of a payout for their time and money invested or continue on and maybe they'll invest a bit more or they might bring other friends of theirs in to invest as well if they want to keep growing. Yeah. A bit more personal, a bit more one-on-one, whereas venture capital is a bit more institutional. Yeah. Okay, that's that's a really great explanation. Thank you. Now I know what it is. <laughs> now, I just want to take a quick break again here on Small Biz. And when we come back after the break, I just wanted to ask you um, a little bit about uh, some of the worst case scenarios that you've seen where people have really stuffed this up, um, both from a lendee and maybe a lendor's perspective um, and why it's important to engage with a broker such as yourselves and what you can expect to have when you have that conversation. You're listening to Triple H 100.1 FM and Small Biz Matters with Alexi Boyd. We'll be back after this. Welcome back to the studio with Small Biz Matters, the half-hour program where you work on your business rather than in it today. We are learning all about 
small business lending with Declan Burton-Clark from Valiant Finance. Um, those of you who are not familiar with Valiant Finance, Declan, how can people find out a little bit more about the services that you offer? Best bet, jump on the website, valiant.finance. Um, it's a little bit fintech. There's no .com.au at the end of that. So <laughs> uh, a, lot, a lot of people ask me that. But then just jump online, give us a Google. On there, if you want to do a bit of a comparison of what your options may be, we have a for lack of a better word, a matching wizard, which will allow you to put in some metrics around your turnover, your time in business, your industry. Um, and hopefully that will then reveal to you some of the different lenders that you have available to you. Mm. All of them are compared on the same level playing field where we'll display their interest rates annually, the monthly repayment and so on. Um, so hopefully it will be a very transparent way of looking at some of your options. It sounds like a good way to just get started and start getting your head around it because at the beginning of the program we were talking about how to get prepared in this regard and I don't think from this you know having our chat today that it's not such a bad exercise that just at any point you should go okay in the event of wanting to grow and needing to get investment or you know capital or whatever word you want to use for it this is the process and this is how I have to be ready. Because so often with small business, things have to happen very quickly when they have to happen. You get this fantastic opportunity dropping in your lap and all of a sudden you need to react quickly. Better to be prepared and understand what the process is. So that's where Valiant Finance can help out. Stay on. <laughs> so I want to talk today, uh, I want to talk now about um, the specifically the different types of um, small business loans that are out there, just to help people understand a little bit better. But um, also... Um, I guess, give me some examples of where it hasn't worked out for the client or for the lender um, and why that is the case. So I think the one of the main important things is making sure that you find the right type of facility. So a bank overdraft is a specific kind of loan. Now, typically, if you just look at it for a... And I think maybe better to point out, a lot of people do borrow money to grow the business, but more, I think, more and more, I come to the realisation that people don't often necessarily borrow the money because they're trying to grow the business. They'll borrow the money to gain more control over what's happening with the in and out flow of cash in the business. Yeah. So that that has been the mindset of lenders is try and determine within a certain industry, how does the money come in and out of that bank account? And how can we help ensure that there's always money there ready to be used when it's needed? So not necessarily borrowing money to grow, but having a lending product available that allows you more control over your cash flow. Okay. So as an example of that, if we take just the field of working capital loans as a whole, there's a number of different types. So you've got the typical bank overdraft where you've got a certain approved limit. You can go in and out of it as you please. So maybe let's say your limit is $50,000. You can use up to $50,000 and then pay it back and you can go in and out and you just get charged basically according to how much you have out at any one time. You Mm. pay interest on how much you're using. Right. Then you have like a principal and interest kind of loan where someone will give you, let's say, $100,000 today with a set term. Typically for alternative lenders, it's typically three months, six months or 12 Mm -hmm. because they want the money back in within a year to Mm -hmm. then reinvest. Mm -hmm. What you'll get with them is... Yeah, pretty what you see is what you get. Here's $100,000. You're going to then pay back 110, 120, 115, whatever it works out at over this term at this repayment 
every week or every month or every day or whatever is the the terms are. It kind of sounds a bit like a um, an overdraft on a on a mortgage, oh, like on a mortgage, a kind of a business mortgage. Would that be kind of like yeah? Because we're pretty t- we're pretty comp- uh, understanding of what a mortgage is, and you've got the principal and you've got the interest, but it's just a shorter term. Exactly right. That's that's a great way of putting it. It's not an overdraft in that you can't just go in and out as you please. It's more of a lump sum today to be used for typically for a purpose, maybe mm-hmm. a stock purchase or something like that, mm-hmm. paid off over a term mm-hmm. and then paid off to, to nil amount. The other sort of thing you can find maybe a bit more flexible is like a line of credit. So for someone who works in, for example, in construction or in trades, you may have a job on right now and a job coming up in a month's time or in a few months' time and then you may also not necessarily have jobs lined up after that. The problem that you might have is you've got a whole bunch of outstanding invoices that you've got to send out, but you may not be paid those invoices in time to do the next job in six months' time. So a line of credit is similar to that principal and interest loan. However, instead of that money being basically given to you today mm-hmm. and bearing an interest cost today, the money is essentially there waiting for you to use to be drawn down as you need to use it and draw it down but it's not an overdraft because you can't pay that back and then use the amount continuously in and out like you said yeah yeah it's a certain amount that's set aside you can draw on it as you need so let's say you've got a hundred thousand dollar line of credit you might draw ten thousand dollars today ten thousand in a week's time and so on the other one that you get is trade and debt or finance so Debt or finance being the invoices that you are owed money on, you sell to the lender. That's right. For lack of a better word, sell to the lender. Yep. They'll front you a portion of that in cash today to use. And then when the invoice is paid, they give you the rest minus their their fees and charges basically for the for the loan. Right. Then you've got debt or finance, which is when you've got a big stock purchase to make coming into the country or or you're buying stock from somewhere in Australia and the lender actually buys that stock for you up front and then you sell it over time and then that's how you repay the loan. So the other thing, um, quite common one as well is like you mentioned before, startups for that pizza shop, oh sorry, fit out for that pizza shop. So that's probably the best example we can highlight of where things maybe don't necessarily go wrong but maybe haven't been managed properly where you've got Customer who goes, say, online, they come across the range of alternate lenders that are out there today. They maybe go through the process with one or two of them and they end up with an approval for a loan type that's not specific to what they were trying to achieve. Mm. So as an example, someone who may have a whole lot of outstanding invoices and have good solid turnover may be applying for a loan that's a principal and interest loan when the root cause of their problem is an inability to get the debtors that they wrote into the, into the bank, where maybe it's more appropriate that we set up a longer-term debt or finance for them. So rather than sort of having a Band-Aid solution to the money, I need money today, we set up a solution that means that they can continuously have access to cash through the sale of their invoice. Yeah. So it's not necessarily that you know, that things always are going wrong, but maybe in some circumstances they're not necessarily the right product that that customer's ended up in because 
Well, just because of bad research or they haven't spoken to the right people, really. Or exactly like or you said. bad advice. Yep, well, exactly like you said. The, the person that they go and see is associated with a few, maybe one or two of these sort of lenders, and then they hear working capital and they go, oh, okay, great, we can go to this lender or that lender. But it's not necessarily the right one for that business. Yeah. So other option might be they've just literally Googled it. It's very last minute. You've got, you've got wages due on Tuesday and it's Friday. And you, you're sort of scrambling and you go, look, well, these people have offered me an approval. I, I, yeah, I'll take the money. I'm not really too fussed what the interest cost is. I've, I need the money, so I'm, I've got to cop whatever it costs me. So I think that's probably where it's best to have someone on your side who can explain that option to you up front because the other, the other thing is you don't want to be shopping around with these sort of things. Each time you go through a process of trying to gain an approval, so you go through an application, it will affect your credit file to a degree. So if you go into one and then a second, the third will likely ask you, why have you gone to one and two? Mm. What happened there? Oh, well, you know, you might say I was I was approved or I was denied, and they might say, well, look, if you were denied, it's likely that our own assessment will uncover the same thing, and they may not take your application on to begin with. So it's important that you go to the right one the first time for two reasons. One, to not damage your credit file, and two, to make sure that you end up with a loan that's not necessarily good for today, but good for tomorrow, next week, six months' time, a year's time, um, and have someone on board who can also who will help you manage it. So they'll call you and they'll say, "Look, you've, you've reached this point in the loan. You're up for a uh, you can increase the limit if you like. We can decrease the limit. We can do this." Yeah. Well, circumstances change. Do you need to change what the loan is for? Yeah. Yep. Maybe you've had a really good couple of months, and we can look at a better facility for you. Hmm. So someone who will manage that with you as you grow rather than reacting to what you need today. Yeah, yeah. I, I, and that, that ties in neatly, which is what the point of today's show is, is to really educate people as to what the lay of the land is, what is what the options are out there. And there is a myriad. I mean, we're, we're not experts in small business lending. We shouldn't pretend to be. And like anything, putting a good uh, advisor in your realm of what you need to do and be prepared don't just do this like you said as the knee-jerk reaction the person who's got wages due in three days and and needs that money now and yesterday be prepared and understand that there are no know your business well enough to know what the seasonality is and when you've got outgoings and when you've got incomings so i think that's um there's been a really great lot of lot of information coming out of today's show, Declan. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on the program again. Thank you for having me. And um, anybody out there who's missed any of today's show, you can, of course, catch up via our smallbizmatters.com.au website. Keep in touch with us via Facebook. There's lots of great articles and um, information coming up on there all the time. Plus, you can check me out on LinkedIn at Alexi Boyd. So... Um, I've really enjoyed today's show, Declan, because um, it's kind of given people an understanding of what you need to be to be prepared. Do your research and surround yourself with good people, which is what we talk about a lot on the show. Um, but more importantly, just understand that if you're going to engage with a, a mortgage, uh, not mortgage broker, with, a, with a small business broker like Valiant Finance, um, what to expect and, and what sort of the conversation, how the conversation will go when you're talking to someone like that. And Look, it's, it's just really important to have someone that's approved and knows what they're talking about. But also um, someone who can talk to your accountant in tandem. Not exactly. Ne- you know, not necessarily someone who is an accountant, but someone who can explain to that accountant who may not be ultimately plugged in to the lending landscape. They can say, well, this is an option you may not have considered. Mm. So, you know, if you've got an accountant who you really trust who understands your business, typically they'll have an idea of what they want you to go out and achieve, which is great great news for us. We love to work with an accountant who has an idea of what they want. Mm. 
Um, but also, if we're working with that accountant on your behalf, we can really have good conversations around what's available. They can sort of then explain, well, this is the seasonality, this is what we really need, mm. and that really helps us identify product quickly. Oh, that's that's excellent. And a really good point to, to finish up with, which is get a good accountant, make sure that everyone communicates with one another, and... Um, like anything, make sure that they're not wearing too many hats, that you really get that specialist on board with your team. So one last thing, how can people find out about Valiant Finance? Jump on the website, valiant.finance. Um, alternatively, we've got a one three hundred number you can call. Um, someone will answer if you ring that. <laughs> I hope I'm not over-promising now. People will call in and maybe not... No, I'm kidding. Someone will answer the phone. <laughs> um, also, you can jump onto the government's small business uh, website at newsouthwalesgov.com, the Department of Industries Business Connect program. Um, There's a whole lot of advisors out there, not necessarily specialists like us, but there is general advice available to you. You've got four hours to spend with a general advisor who you can talk to about literally anything Mm. that comes to mind. A lot of them are very plugged in, so they'll know specialists who can help you depending on your specific problem. Um, They won't do all the work for you. That's not part of the program, but they will be able to point you in the right direction so that you can go out and find the specific advice that you need relative to whatever it is that your business does. And don't forget, everyone, it's free. It's available to you. It's part of your tax-paying dollars. So use it as a small business. They've also got some fantastic training workshops and a few networking events around the place as well. So tap into that. Thank you again for coming on the show today, Declan. We'll welcome you back in the show when we have another Royal Commission, perhaps. No. (laughs) Always great to hear from your advice when it comes to small business finance. You've been listening to Small Biz Matters. We'll be back next week. Next week's guest is Julian Lisa, Federal MP for Barara. So if you've got a question for him and you want to ask him a hard hit question about what's going on in your small business feed it through to us and we'll include it uh, and expect him to answer the questions because we like poking politicians with a stick here on small biz matters thank you for joining me again and we'll see you next week tuesday 9am on triple h 100.1 fm